winning the Premier League financial fair play profit table doesn't make your heart beat faster. It, it's sensible business, but it's frustrating if you're a fan. Welcome along to the 75th release of YE1 Spurs podcast. Great to have you on board, each and every listener. On the show today, we mark 20 years since Daniel Levy officially took his position as chairman of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, February 2001, after former owner Alan Sugar sold his majority stake to the Enic Group in December 2000. In a few on-field numbers, the regime has overseen 14 European campaigns, five of which have been in the Champions League, including one final of the competition, of course, in 2019. While the club has reached four League Cup finals under the guises of Worthington Cup, Carling Cup and Capital One Cup. But only one of these finals has ended in silverware, as we know. These are just some of the facts to be dissected over the next hour or so by myself, Ian Wallace, Simeon Wright, Peter Wright, and a member of the team who is backed by popular demand, huge fan club, Matthew Fletcher-Jones. Fletch, how are you? Hello, mate. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Not bad. You are fresh from um, an article you've had in City M this morning about, if you can just tell the listeners what that was about. Yeah, I wrote something uh, which was published today on... Maybe a bit of football fatigue creeping in as, uh, you know, I said something like there's football on TV now as often as episodes of QI and you're kind of never far from a match. But it's not the football I'm kind of tired of. But I think like this with podcasts, uh, we all love talking about football and the narrative around it and the build up and the sense of occasion is as big a thing as the football itself at times. And at the moment, there's no there's no time for that. Because if this was a podcast talking about just the weekend's games, then uh, the listeners got the window of about a day to listen to it, and then another one <laughs> coming along. That's so, a great, great point. Yeah, just thinking about it in those terms, really. Okay, um, and Sam, we've got Sim, uh, Simeon Wright and Peter Wright. Sim, how are you, sir? I'm very good, yeah, yeah. Um, just been mulling over the situation at Dulwich Hamlet quite a lot in the last couple of weeks. It's um, really come to a head between them and the National League recently. Yeah, it's a hugely interesting, for our listeners, it's hugely interesting what's going on there, um, which I think if you research it or research, Sim has written a piece for, um, the, what, have you, what, what paper have you written it for, Sim? Uh, so I wrote one last week for Southwark News, but I've got an, an updated one coming out uh, tomorrow. Uh, so oh. print edition, anyone living in the local area, it's available every Thursday. But yeah, yeah. This, um, this Thursday I'll have a piece in there. Hugely interesting. And Peter, how are you getting on, Peter? Here you're back at work in the dentistry as the music's suffering. Not really, no, no, because I'm knee deep in tracks that I'm writing at the moment as well. So it's a bit of both, yeah. really. Uh, uh, yeah. A good balance. Uh, just thawing out, really, after that really cold weather we had. I like yeah. it feels actually almost like tropical this week. It's a tropical 11 degrees, like a sauna. <laughs> um, I just want to ask as well, we ask every time, have you written a song for Anthony Costa yet? I have, well, After Party's the song, you know, it's, we, we wrote it in 2001. <laughs> it's a case of him recording it. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll have to get on to him to do that. Yeah. But anyway, let's, let's get cracking on this discussion about Enoch and uh, their great leader, Daniel Levy. But sort of beginning the discussion... I'm sort of keen to find out if Fletch feels the same as he did last May when YE1 Daily did its review of the 2000-2001 season where Fletch did this. If it's a fundraiser for the Levy statue, then I'm happy to put a few quid in. You know, you just spoke 10 minutes ago about us losing to Ipswich 3-0 in, you know, in 2000 and where we were. We've got the best stadium in the world. We've got the best training grounds. We've been to a Champions League final. We weren't in the best place when it started. We're in a better place with what's going on in the world at the moment. If all the money kind of came out of, you know, the likes of Man United and City and so on, you know, we'd be one of the few clubs left standing. So, Matthew, Fletch, how do you feel? Do you still think, you know, you chip in for the, uh, for the statue? Yeah, yeah, I stand by it. I still think... 
regardless of Potts going and Marino's dull football, I think Levy has and Enoch have kind of changed the club for the better. And I think in the long run, you know, we'll still see the fruits of that, fingers crossed. So, yeah, I'll stand by it. I think um, the stadium says a lot and the training ground as well. I think we'll see more youth prospects coming through as well. And I think we're in a better position than we were when he came in. That's interesting because I'm sure that will polarise opinion. Um, Peter, would you chip in money for a statue of Daniel outside White Hart Lane? Uh, certainly not. No, no. I think they're far, they're far more. I mean, what about this? There's no, there's nothing of Bill, Billy Nick. Bill Nick actually won something. I just feel that people that you sort of look up to and you know people who uh, improve the club. I think he's improved the club financially, but uh, uh, on the pitch, uh, I would say no. So no, definitely no. Okay. No, no, no contribution from me. I'm afraid. Sim, would you put a tempi of your uh, talk sport earnings? First of all, I don't think that Daniel Levy or Joe Lewis would need us to chip in. I think they could probably build their own statue. But, um, <laughs> I, I mean, the question you put to Fletch was, has he changed his mind? And he's obviously stuck by his, his convictions and, and credit to him for that. Um, and I'll, I'll stick by pretty much exactly what I said at the time, which was, if there's success on the pitch, I'd rather see one of our goal-scoring heroes, i.e. Harry Kane, who you know could be breaking the club's all-time goal-scoring record very soon. I would rather see a statue put up of you know the heroes that have done it on the pitch. And I just feel like an owner, as much as you can give them credit and and laud them, and you know there's there's owners. I think there's a there's a statue outside Blackburn. I think of Jack Walker. Um, I might be incorrect about that. But I'm pretty sure there is. Uh, I, but it's not. It's obviously not as common as as having the statues of the the on field heroes. So yeah. I, I'm sort of in that camp. But if they do win stuff, you know, long term, which I'm sure they want to. Daniel Levy's a staunch Tottenham fan. If we do suddenly go through a crazy period of success in our new stadium, then I mean, it can all change, can't it? Jack Walker actually yeah. trans, uh, his contribution resulted in silverware, by the way. Which is, uh, yeah. I think, that's different. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, yeah. Peter. Um, but can I just cast your mind back, um, Fletch? When when Enoch came in in 2000, Sim obviously was about one years old because he's so young, but Enoch came in. And, and Fletch, do you sort of remember how you sort of felt? Because, you know, we a lot of the time then we had these owners coming in, spending a lot of money. Could you sort of remember how you sort of felt when they came in? Obviously, we'd had the kind of the sugar era and so on. And I think we'd been, we hadn't financially been in the best place for quite a while. You know, being kind of of a similar age, you'll remember, you know, when we were kids and the new stand being built at the start of it. And Spurs was something of a kind of glamour club, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're kind of aspirational in, you know, London football terms. And then that all went kind of, wrong and a scholar and there was a rescue package and so on so you know i didn't know a lot about them obviously the words joe lewis and billionaire get kind of knocked around a lot but it, it felt like a kind of positive thing and something why i kind of stand by my kind of support of them is that it felt like proper businessmen coming in you know football lots of clubs have suffered badly from charlatans and short-termism and asset stripping and debt mountains and so on. And I I still appreciate the fact, particularly in the kind of current climate, that we've got genuine business people running the club who obviously want to make a profit, but you know they're not willing to risk the future of it as well. Okay, that, 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 that's a great point, that is. And, Peter, I just want to bring you in with this question here. Should we be grateful that Enoch has built us a legacy and not be so selfish that short-term we haven't won much? Yeah, well, they've built his financial stability, but they, I, I think there's a balance to be struck, and I think the balance is uh, too far in the direction of financial stability to the detriment of what's gone on on the field. And I, put, I point... 
specifically to the two transfer windows where no refreshing of the squad took place. And that is the reason why we're not celebrating back-to-back titles. Yeah, I totally, I totally I agree there. I specifically, I think that's the reason why that's happened. And I'm sort of unshakable in my view. I think they've gone too far in the... I mean, I don't want us to do a Leeds. I mean, people say, oh God, we don't want to end up like Leeds. But I think there's a balance to be struck. And I think they're a little bit too much to one side, I would say. Yeah, can can I just can I just take you back to a sim? Can I just take you back to the season Leicester won the league, two thousand fifteen sixteen season, and the January transfer window. So at this point, we are you know we're right up there. We are right up there with them. Okay, they brought in Damari Gray. They bought they bought in three players just to sort of refresh it, and then we bought in someone Shiloh Tracy from Ebbsfleet. Now, surely, Sim, how do you sort of think that could have been a lot different? Well, I mean, if I remember correctly, that was probably the best transfer window that we certainly had under Pochettino, isn't it? Because that was the summer that we brought in, the summer of 2015. Man, I'm talking about the January one, Sim. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm no, yeah, 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 I, 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 hear, I hear that. But, I mean, I think, you know, they did do the business in the in the summer of that window. I feel like the January window is not necessarily one that you do expect to be strengthening in and we we did buy very very well i think maybe i think the team was clearly developing at that time with you know the the defense alvaro had been brought in in that summer so that defense was building itself up to be the meanest in the league we hadn't bought wanyama yet had we but we bought son son that summer uh, yeah we the, bought toby son trips vimmer and enjoy yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so it was a, it was a good transfer window all in all, and possibly at that time they were thinking that this team was improving because this team was improving, and I, I think it it wasn't until very very late in that season that we did start to start to collapse a bit. So, that's that's not necessarily the the transfer window that I would look at. However, there's definitely an argument to say that because we were in the title race and it was such an open season. You're correct, Ian, to say that they could have pushed the boat out that summer and we probably probably would have had a better chance of becoming champions if we had. And you remember they had form in 2012. Yeah. In a, in a, also a January window where they didn't really push the boat out. And that, I mean, I think Harry could definitely have arguably won a title. You know, yeah, because they bought that, that was the yeah. infamous window where they bought, was it Ryan Nelson and Louis Samar? Yep. Am yep. I right? Yeah, so uh, I think uh, it was either. Um, one of our previous guests at Sava or somebody pointed to that window. It's definitely those are the two. But 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 much much later on after the the strengthening in 2015, I'm talking about when we had the two empty windows where we did nothing, and and that squad was allowed to become stale and run down and yeah. and, and not turned over. Yeah, it's it's more it's more so what I think it's more so what came after. But I mean, you are right to to point to that as a missed opportunity. But what happened after that? season that you know we did so well and then did well the season after that but you know didn't go that extra step that was when yeah. they stopped that was when they stopped spending and that was pretty scandalous yeah, yeah can i can i just say to you, throw this out to fletch okay so after that season where we we sort of battling with leicester uh that season the following season summer window we buy sissoko jansen wanyama and enkudu okay we pretty much get most that's about 50 60 70 million you know, we get about half that back with Chadley, Mason, Pritchard and Yedling going the other way. So that, that's like a net spend of about £30 million. But City spent 150 United 150 Liverpool 80 Leicester 70 Chelsea 110 Arsenal 90 You know, the, the players who were, bearing in mind we'd had such a great season the season before Fletch, the players out there were Kante, Sadio Mane, Balassi, Wijnaldum, Gundogan, Sane, Jesus... Yeah, Is that the story, Fletch? There's quite a few things going on there because you, you know, you mentioned all those clubs with their outlay. Only City won the league. Arsenal spending ninety million certainly didn't. And I think we, when we did spend players, it also partly comes down to recruitment. And you know, I would say at the moment Leicester are the second best team in the country. They haven't spent a fortune on players, but their recruitment's been superb. You know, we go out and bought players in 
Janssen and Sissoko and so on who weren't up to the job really and didn't really improve the team. Right. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think it's always a, and the, you know, I think you mentioned Mane in there, didn't you? Yeah. And and Liverpool just offered him higher wages. You know, I think we, I think we matched them on price and we couldn't match them on, on wages. So I just think there's lots of elements to it, and it's also what, what do we want to be? If someone came along this summer and bought the club, and then spent. 500 million and uh you know we won the league and so on is is that is that what we want you know i'm quite proud of the the pochettino era runs you know i know we didn't win a trophy but things could have gone differently in fa cup and you know carling cup finals and semi-finals and so on where that could have happened but as a club we went from We'll all remember the Champions League year with Harry Redknapp and the joy of that. But it felt like a bit of a one-off, didn't it? It yeah. didn't feel like that we were going to permanently, well, for a few years, become part of that and get better and compete. And we kind of grew that team and that squad. We played good football. The stadium was being built. The training ground was being built. And, you know, you look at it, you could look at it in 30 years' time and go, wow, whereas... We could also look back and by some freak we beat City in a few weeks' time. Marino zero is kind of better, and then suddenly everything's a success. Yeah, so I think it's kind of relative to to other clubs. You know, City are a fantastic club where they are now, but they bought it all. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot that was just said there. If if I'm honest, I I really do. And you know, there are a couple of things you did mention: the stadium being built. And also the fact that recruitment is, you know, the key thing and you don't necessarily have to, it's about the quality of player that you buy rather than how much you spend. And, you know, £30 million for Sadio Mane is is looking like some of the best business of the last 10 years. But, I mean, they've clearly made a conscious decision at that time that they're not going to be spending at all. And, I mean, you saw it with the two transfer windows, but... Our head of recruitment, Paul Mitchell, left in the August of 2016. He's, you know, he, he he was, I imagine, was instrumental in that good summer that we had the year before. And he resigned because his job he described as turning into a nightmare, probably because his job is totally obsolete if he's a head of recruitment and he's basically been given instructions that actually you can't recruit any players. So I, I, I think that's that's the point where... They did make that decision, this, a bit like Arsenal made, I suppose, 10 years before, where when their stadium was being built, you know, they were going to be selling players rather than rather than bringing them in. And I think the only marquee transfer in or out that happened at that time was Kyle Walker leaving the club. And I think that just says it all, really. Yeah, I mean, why are they not... Ma- I mean, to talk about something first, why are we not matching money's wages? I mean, to me, I mean, that's... Uh, why are we not... Uh, is it William? He, he walked out from the medical and went to Chelsea. I mean, both those players have title-winning medals, right? Ask yourself a question why that is. You know, that, that, that's, that's what I'm getting at. Why are we not matching Marnie's wager? I totally agree. And I sort of look back at what Fletch it's just said ambition. about, I was immensely proud of that period. Like, And we all were. I was immensely proud of that period. And so, for me, it sort of makes me question what I want. I'm frustrated at the moment with Enoch and like I have been in a few transfer windows, but I really did enjoy that like, us being the underdogs and having youth come through and having a young, vibrant manager. And I sort of really enjoyed that. So possibly do we not know what we want as Spurs fans? Sim? I, I do. I do. I know what I want. Sim. Ah, Peter does. I, Peter, I, I, Peter. I Play, play good football and win something. <laughs> Not much. 20, then. 20 years. <laughs> Not asking for much then. Just tw- well, Liverpool have done it. Man City have done it. It's 20 years. That's, Liverpool's a really interesting point, I think, in all of this. They sold their best player at the time mm. in Coutinho and they decided they needed two players, a centre-back and a keeper, they and they played, you know, they paid something like 150 million for the two of them in Allison and Van Dyke and won the league. Yeah, top, would top, we top. be willing to put ourselves in that position? You know, if we sold Kane and bought two players who collectively improved the rest of the team, 
you know, would we be willing to take that risk? I think because I'm just going back there to, I think, point Sim made about us selling players in the past and our wage structure, which stopped us getting money and people like that, was based on, you know, on a strict way. And if Mane comes in earning 250 grand a week, then you automatically have to pay Kane and Luisa as well. And we clearly couldn't afford it. So, yeah, just going back to that point of what what do we actually kind of want? Or can, can we be more patient? And when Arsenal are spending money again now because they paid for the stadium, you know, are we going in that direction? And we seem to be producing some kids as well in the likes of Scarlet and so on, who genuinely seem to be the real deal. And that could be related to the training ground. So maybe can we've got I, a few more years. Can I, can I put it to Peter though? Peter, you say you know what you want and possibly I'm guilty of not knowing what I want. Am I just happy with my lot and just want to see, you know, do, do we want a Man United where we've got the Glazers using the club to leverage other assets? Or, you know, we have, or do we want to be a Chelsea or a Man City do we want to live, be a Liverpool, you know, where Fenway stick their hands in their pockets at spital moments? Or do we just want to be a Leicester or Wolves or, you know, where we are operating creatively, but we sell our best players at the right price? Or Everton, who pretty much are just a bit scattergun approach. I mean, what 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 do we want to be, Peter? What are, well, I know what we want to be, but where really are we sitting at the moment? You see, um, I've got a problem is that I'm an old duffer and I just remember us <laughs> winning stuff when I was a kid. Growing up, winning, retaining the FA Cup in the early 80s. I don't remember us winning the title, but you know, I just knew, knew that we were like going toe-to-toe with the likes of Chelsea and Arsenal at the time. And I just, I've been a bit spoilt by that really. In the, in the mid-80s, uh, the '87 team should have won some, should have won a title. I started going in 1971 when we won the League Cup. Uh, won the League Cup two years later. I've just grown up with us at least winning things, and so um, it sort of defines what I want. You ask me what I want. That's why, and those those teams didn't half play good football as well. Oh, but what what were they? What were we doing right? There? I don't know what the balance sheet looked like, mind you. I don't know what was going on at Bordeaux. <laughs> Know that. But what? But I've... what were we doing right then, Peter? For me, obviously, I'm like you know nearer your age. I th- I think we were a bit extravagant we're in transfers. We're I thought we really we, bought we, players. I mean, you talk about Liverpool bringing in earmarking players. We we had top notch recruitment. I mean, I put Liverpool's success down to top notch recruitment. Fletch touched on it. Um, with Spurs, we were pioneers with bringing, bringing Aussie and. The two Argentinians. Well, I, I tell you what, it's, I mean, it does um, It does seem a bit silly what I'm about to do here, which is compare 2020, 21 to 1960, 1961, because it's totally incomparable. But if, you know, I were to do that, what it wasn't back then was a squad game. And now you're talking about Man City, Chelsea, Man United, you know, I don't have to go through the clubs, you know them already, having these massive, massive squads that do win the titles over 38 games with European games, with cup games, it's the squad that wins the league. You know, if you're not on the same even keel financially, or you don't, you don't. And I'm not saying that they should, because there's no way we can spend the same as those clubs. But you know, if you're not spending to the same level, then which we can't, then you're not going to win anything because you're going to get found out in a squad game over 38 games of a season. Mm. It's not just a squad; it's key players. It's like um, that's Kyle Walker leaving Spurs to strengthen Manchester City's. Uh, right back problem uh, that put us back but put them forward in 12 months time if Kane leaves to re- replace Aguero what are we going to say then how far is that going to put us well I tell you what I'm sure we'll get into that a bit later but yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's let's um, just detach emotion for a uh, for a second here and hear an hear an independent assessment of the Levy era from uh, someone that the listeners might know actually um, Kira Maguire is the author of a book that was published in January 2020 called The Price of Football. But he's also a co-host with Kevin Day on, I know, a podcast you really like yourself, Ian, um, The Price of Football podcast. And he was nice enough to give us a minute the other day to um, to just give sort of like another fans, because he's a Brighton supporter, but he's he's given his perspective on Levy's 20 years at Spurs. And I started off by asking him exactly that. From the outside of Spurs' point of view, 
how is the Daniel Levy era seen in the world of football? I think from a financial point of view, there's a lot of admiration for his ability to turn Spurs into a good mid-tier team. And I think that was the viewpoint. Uh, I think you could probably benchmark it alongside the likes of Villa, West Ham, Newcastle and so on when, when he first took over to, to now being a side who you're normally expecting to be challenging for Champions League places, if nothing more. He, he's also managed to run the club as, as a very tight ship. He's, that means that Joe Lewis hasn't been asked to dip into his pockets on a regular basis, which will no doubt cheer up Joe. Um, and, and I think his, his crowning achievement is, is without doubt the, the stadium. For Spurs to go from being relatively nowhere as far as Premier League revenue generation is concerned. So it looks like in, in 2020, they'll have generated more money from ticket sales than any other club in the country uh, is, is a phenomenal achievement. And it's that the, the attention to detail, the, the belief in building the club from the bottom up, which I think has been his, his, uh, his greatest achievement, although it's not been transformed into success on the pitch to the extent that Spurs fans would like. It's obviously, obviously a very long-winded process. You know, 20 years is not an insignificant amount of time. It's a generation. Would he argue, do you think, because of the pandemic that he's been... I mean, you mentioned the, the revenues, the record revenues that they would have got in 2020. Would he possibly argue, Levy, Enoch and everyone behind him, that they've been somewhat cut off at their prime? Yes, yes. I, mean, uh, I think Spurs had actually reached a tipping point in terms of moving up a level. Uh, with, with the new stadium coming to fruition, it would have been the first season of full revenues from the stadium. And all of the numbers, you know, they probably exceeded the expectations of the club itself. And then COVID came along. And from that point of view, it'll be very frustrating just when you've got this, this asset, which could be used to generate more money. And, the, and in football, the money coming in helps to generate the money going out on players in terms of wages and transfers. So to, to have that bonus or have to have that addition to the, the club's firepower to be taken away as a result of COVID is frustrating. I don't know what Spurs fans' realistic ambitions were 20 years ago because Abramovich came along. You've got a new kid on the block. Then Mansour came along, did, did the same with Manchester City, and, and you had clubs who were being funded in phenomenal uh, amounts of money. And, and Spurs weren't in a position to compete. You know, that they, they were chasing fourth, fifth and sixth. And get, getting to fourth was, was, was a good achievement. Then I think what Daniel has done is to, to allow Spurs to not compete quite at that level, but to be able to spend enough money on the squad to, to be there or thereabouts without, of course, necessarily turning that into silverware. Yeah, I mean, clearly they can't compete financially with Man City and, and Chelsea. That's just, that's just obvious. But another interesting thing that was going on at the time that they took over, of course, was you know, a very infamous way of operating, which was Leeds United. And they were coming around at a time when you know, the money in the Premier League was going up more and more. And it's obviously, obviously reached the levels it's at now. Do they deserve credit for overseeing quite a treacherous period where clubs did sort of overspend and Leeds in particular. Is there a danger that, you know, they could have been sucked into the sort of Leeds United way of, of operating or is that just just something that someone like Levy would not have done? I, I, I don't think Daniel would have done that. I mean, the, the Leeds issue, it was a gamble. Right. And the trouble with gambling, you know, you're, you're effectively flipping a coin. And if it comes up heads, you win. And if it comes up tails, 16 years out of the Premier League as a result of gambling and it not working. We saw uh, the owners of Sunderland put in huge amounts of money. That didn't work. They're now in League One. We saw Villa drop down into the championship. We saw Newcastle do the same. So, so many clubs who I think would have been on a par with Spurs in many respects. And I think, I think Leeds, you've given is a, is a fine example, you know, roughly the same size of stadium 20 years ago, uh, able to sell out every week in the same way as Spurs. 
they they decided to to try to push on to perhaps a, a level which was beyond their, their comfort level, and that came at a price. They, they spent an awful lot of money. Some of those signings didn't work. They were left with legacy wages. Yeah, we've all heard the stories about Seth Johnson. Robbie Fowler didn't work out. There's many, many others. Yeah. And Spurs just plodded along. Perhaps that was unexciting. Uh, you know, ultimately, you want to see them compete for trophies. And I think Daniel's innate caution protected the club, but also gave it to a certain extent a natural ceiling which meant that it wasn't really going to be in a position to be keep competing for the Premier League title. Is that realistic? If for Spurs, you know, should they be focusing on getting into the Champions League and, and you know, a, a cup, a cup victory? I'm, you know, sixty. That's how I grew up with Spurs as a club. They always seem as a cup team who played good football, never serious for for the for the top prize. Um, and I think it's, it's a case of perhaps trying to manage expectations. And to a certain extent, Daniel Levy achieved that aim. The new stadium, I suspect, has upped the expectations of the fan base. And now there's probably more pressure on him than ever before. Is there an argument to suggest, though, that they have reached that ceiling under this ownership and that, you know, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not easy to... to um... To get a trustworthy owner, you've got to be very careful what you wish for. But can Tottenham fans realistically expect Tottenham to be fighting for Premier League titles under Enoch? Um, th- there is scope to spend more money. You know, Spurs, uh, I-, I did a calculation of, the, uh, of, of every single club that's played in the Premier League since 1992 and who's been the most profitable and, and Spurs, until the end of 2019, actually now work out to be the most profitable club. They've, they, they've just overtaken Arsenal. I think with Spurs' losses in 2020, they'll dip below potentially. But could Enoch have had a bit more uh, leeway for managers? Yes, they could. They decided to not take that approach. But you, you look at Liverpool. Yes, they've been very successful the last two or three years. But Liverpool were within 24 hours of going bust in 2000. 2008-2009 under Hicks and Gillette. Uh, you know, we've seen Manchester United spend a billion pounds on interest, dividends, bankers' fees. Yes, Manchester United have won many trophies since the Glazers have arrived, but they've not won anything. They've not won the Premier League since 2013. So, you know, it, some, some of these alternative management models haven't delivered to the extent that fans expect of the Premier League and you know, we've already mentioned Leeds, Villa, Newcastle, Sunderland, you know, cl- clubs who, who can get those crowds of 40 to 50,000 with, with, no, with no trouble and, and Spurs for the last, realistically for, for most of the last decade they've been challenging for the top four under Enoch I think Spurs fans would have liked Enoch to be a bit more of a generous owner a bit more benevolent, there's no doubt that, that Joe Lewis is a wealthy man He's, he's in his 80s, just loosen the strings a bit more. I'm sure he'd like to, to see the club win something because otherwise, why get involved in the first place? Yeah, very true. And Daniel Levy does purport to be a big Spurs fan. So I'm sure that he'd love to see, you know, some silverware being lifted at the lane or whatever we want to call it these days. Um, but just finally for you, Kieran, you're obviously a Brighton fan. And I sort of see Brighton as almost like a mini Spurs. And that's not a disrespect to you because um you know i think tottenham are probably a bigger club than brighton and hove albion oh, yeah. I, I see but like brighton are obviously a brilliantly developing club and have a fantastic infrastructure you know you've got a a newish now stadium reasonably new training ground as well established premier league club which is brilliant and a big similarity between brighton and spurs is that same uh, same levels of trophies so is there an argument to say that brighton relatively speaking are as successful a club as Spurs in the Daniel Levy period? Um, well, if we go back to when Daniel Levy first took over at Spurs, we were playing in an athletics track in the in League Two. So in terms of achievement, we've, we've certainly come a lot further than Spurs. He's put £400 million of his own money into the club. It's his money that's built the stadium and the training facilities and paid for our 
eight or nine years in, eight years I think it was, in, in the championship where we got into the playoffs on four occasions and then finally got promoted. And he kept bankrolling those losses. Um, so I think there is, is a slightly different ownership model. Yeah, if, if, if we finish 12th in the Premier League, we'll be doing a lap of honour. Yeah, there, there'll be an open, top, open bus tour of the city uh, because that would be a hell of an achievement for us. I, as an outsider, if, if it's to finish in the top four, then I think Daniel Levy has delivered that on a regular basis over the course of the last decade. If it's to win things, then, then he's not. At a lower level of expectation at Brighton, if, if we avoid relegation, that's our first objective. What we're trying to do is to you know, get a year in the top 10 will be fantastic, get to a cup final will be fantastic, and, and, and we'd be delighted with that. So I, th- I think you've got to look at the two sets of fan bases and say, well, what are they realistic in expecting? And how has Daniel and Joe helped the club in achieving that? I think they've done well. I think they could have done a wee bit more in terms of uh, the funding of the club. That there's no doubt that from a from a financial point of view, the club is run superbly. But winning the Premier League financial fair play profit table of the year doesn't make your heart beat faster. It, it's sensible business, but it's frustrating if you're a fan. Thanks for that, Kieran. That's really interesting. I'm a huge fan of your podcast as well. So hopefully we can get get you on for a podcast special with you uh, on why you won Spurs. But I just want to sort of go back to the 10 years before Enoch took over. Our best finish was seventh. So that was under the sugar era. But then the average league positions under Enoch over the last 20, from when they started to the last season, their average was sixth. So in all that time, we've gone... You know, we have developed because we had some turgid years, but in the last 10 years, we've never finished lower than six. Um, I just sort of want to ask what you sort of think around the table. Do we think we would have been a better place with Sugar in, in tow, still our chairman for the last 20 years? I sort of think we may have been because I think Sugar is a businessman and would see the core business is football. And I think he might have thrown a bit of money out of his own pocket. Um, Fletch, what do you sort of think? What's your sort of thoughts on sh- if we still had Sugar as the chairman? What would be happening? Well, I, I'm not sure too many of us have bought an Amstrad in the last 20 years. <laughs> um, you know, and our current owner uh, lives in Barbados rather than a street in Chigwell. So I'm not um, <laughs> I'm not sure um, Sir Alan, as I believe he likes to be called on his TV shows these days, would have... Um, had a massive effect and I you know I think we I think we would have gone backwards in the long term I think the game has changed dramatically and you know some high profile uh British businessman uh as much as he clearly loves the club I think you know we might be languishing a lot further down the league or dare I say it be with the Sunderlands of this world Wow, that's that's a that's a big call. But do you, do you not think he would not let a business suffer? I don't think the business is suffering now, to be honest. I just don't think he he would have had the kind of the pull and and just the kind of money behind him to to kind of transform us significantly. I, I think you know football has changed so much, you know, in the last twenty years and. You know, unfortunately, now a Champions League place is bigger than winning a cup. Uh-huh. And I think, um, you know, Sugar would just be in another era. You know, Sir Jack Walker probably wouldn't have the transformative effects that um, he had on Blackburn then that he would now. I don't think Sugar would have been the answer. Peter, your thoughts on Sugar? Well, you know, 20 years was quite a long time. If you're saying that, I don't know whether Lady Sugar might have been pecking his head to the extent that he might have just thrown the towel in. But having said that, uh, I can't see how it might have been that much worse. I mean, sixth and seventh, is that much of a difference? Not sure if he would have had the vision uh, for the stadium and training facility, but then he would have been pragmatically enough as a businessman to have maybe push the boat out a little bit more. I mean, I cite the Klinsman signing as a, one of those situations where he did, you know, push the boat out. And uh, 
I don't know how whether Sugar might have done that much worse in the, if he had stayed for twenty years. That's a good point. Some good yeah. points there, Peter. Sim, what's your sort of thoughts? Obviously, you're a bit too young for Sugar, I think. Well, the basis, as we know, of Peter's beef with Enoch is is around the trophies. We've heard that, and you know, one one trophy in tw- in the twenty years, we probably would have got one trophy. We might have even had more under Sugar. But I mean, just say supposing that we did have that nightmare scenario that that Fletch drew attention to, which could have happened because you're talking about a, a humble businessman who's not who's not you know got I don't think he's got multiple businesses I don't think he's getting I don't think he would get any richer I feel like Joe Lewis even though I I can't claim to be an expert on his other businesses I know he's he's like he has that Tavistock group and whatever I don't know what that what that stretches branches off into but I mean it, say that the run, the money did run out. We sort of had a relegation. We could have had a relegation in that time. You're always going to point to the Birmingham's, the Portsmouths, and the Wigan's and go, you know, they've won as many trophies in the 20 years as us. But are they, you know, better football clubs than us? Or, great of, 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 co- of course not. So, in a hypothetical situation, we could have won three trophies and been in the championship a couple of times maybe done what West Ham have done so I don't I don't think we'd be in a in a better position under under sugar in, interesting from you three um yeah. I, I just want to throw this out there to you Fletch obviously I've worked for views we've worked in corporate businesses so I'm just saying Daniel Levy a CEO in any other type of business would have failed in its core business because we haven't won trophies so we've failed in our core business and I think a CEO in, in any sort of corporate business would have been fired for not for not being successful. Do you agree with me? It's a good question, mate. But I know you're also a numbers man, and you'd be um, you'd be. Uh, is he making a profit? Um, I would be. And uh, you know, I think I I don't think he would have been not with the you know a stadium which is there for fifty years and the best training facility in your industry, you know, kind of globally, and doing this while balancing the books is a pretty good job. And ultimately, he hires the people to win the trophies, and none of those have uh, actually done the job. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Sim, what do you sort of think about that that question? Would you should... Do you think he should have been fired at some point? Or do you think, you know, he hasn't delivered on the pitch? Our core business is football, so he hasn't delivered. What's your sort of thoughts? Yeah, that is, that's true. But I suppose it does go back to the to the old sort of cliche that football isn't like any other business. And there's no there's no other business where you would fire your your CEO or your your manager and pay them like what I've heard I've heard this week that Mourinho pretty much can't get fired because it would cost us 35 million to pay him off so that's that, that's not something that would happen in any other business um I, i'll just sort of pose a pose a question to to peter though if if i may ian just sort of going back to what we were speaking about before as well the champions league campaigns that we've had ian mentioned at the top that we've had five champions league campaigns which let's be honest probably wouldn't have happened under alan sugar so how much value do you see, Peter, in us being in the Champions League, but, you know, apart from the final in 2019, not really looking like we're going to do anything particularly special in it? Yeah, there's a great, tremendous value in reaching that. I mean, we were dining at the top table, but I think we're supposed to be dining at the top table. Your earlier comment about Birmingham, and I think you mentioned Wigan, I'm, I'm kind of not having comparisons with those clubs because uh, we're in the bracket with Liverpool... Uh, Chelsea, Arsenal and Man United that's where I put Tottenham I don't put us in that lower echelon I don't care, people might disagree with me but I think that's where we belong all those clubs have won trophies in that well, What about the fact that Ipswich have won, a, have won a Europa League a UEFA Cup, Aston Villa have won a Champions League Nottingham Forest have won two European Cups Yeah, that's true, that's true but I just think, I, I'm, I'm harking back to when I was growing up and those were the clubs that I, you know, I would sort of say, uh, I mean, you could throw Man City in there as well, because actually in the 60s when I was sort of growing up, they were winning titles and, you know, mm. the likes of Colin Bell and people like that. So 
don't, that's the bracket that I put on them in. I don't, yeah, I right. don't think we're like a crash and burn sort of like a Wigan type club at all. It's quite insulting. Yeah. <laughs> Wigan's probably insulting, yeah. yeah. I, I actually just want to do a correction, actually, because we have actually won another trophy during that time. Actually, two trophies, obviously the Audi Cup. <laughs> and, and also, Daniel Levy won the CEO of the year at the Football Business Awards in 2017. Why didn't we have an open-top bus parade for that, then? <laughs> I, I, think, I, think we, I think we should have. I just want to give a couple of sound bites on uh, Levy that uh, people might not know, which might be interesting. Well, Peter might remember this. I think the other two might be too young. Uh, Levy's dad used to own Mr Byright. Really? I remember Mr Byright. Yeah. I've, no idea what, I've absolutely no idea what that is. What did they <laughs> sell? A, I just remember a, the name. What did they sell, though? <laughs> The clothes, wasn't it? It was yeah. like a clothes shop, like a bit of a clothes shop. Fletch was too young as well. They were a also bit cheap Joe... and nasty, though. <laughs> yeah, they were remember. nasty. Yeah, shiny and nasty. <laughs> also, Joe Lewis used to own the Hanover Grand Nightclub. Many a time I've uh, fallen out of there quite early in the mornings. <laughs> Anyone else been in the Hanover Grand Nightclub? I can't say I have. 84, no, 84 years old. I don't think so. I just had a look at the uh, lead table of the year. They took over, so the 2001 league table. And the team finishing 18th getting relegated is Man City. Ah! That's interesting. Whereas Ipswich are fifth. And we finished in our regular position of 12th. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, there, 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 there goes, you know, like the, the progression we've had. I just also want to say as well, another sort of award... Well, we, we didn't have an over-top bus for this, Peter, and this might rankle in your throat... Um, we had world record profits for a football club in the year 2017-18 of 113 million. Of course we did, because we weren't buying anybody. <laughs> yeah, and I think that sums it up. You know, yeah, it's we... incredible. Um, I just want to, I, we digress a little bit there, but I just want to come back to um, Levy. Um, I just sort of want to sort of say where 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 has been his really big failures in the 20 years? Sim, can I go to you first? I would have to say. A, maybe not the biggest failure, but something I view as a failure is the summer transfer window of 2010 when we first qualified for the Champions League and we spent 8 million quid in the whole summer and that was a deadline day present from Real Madrid of Rafael van der Vaart, who was class, don't get me wrong, yeah. but come on. I, I mean, Harry Redknapp has worked wonders to get us from the bottom of the league into the Champions League within 18 months. And what does he get? An eight million pound uh, spending spree. I think that's that was pretty pretty outrageous, and that's at a time as well when it was publicised that you know it doesn't even matter now the Champions League revenue compared to the Premier League. But at that time it was oh you're in the Champions League. That means you've got a hundred and twenty million extra quid um, to spend, and we spend eight million of that. Yes, they're probably banking it towards the stadium, but you know just. 30 million in that summer would have made us a better team and we got in we got to the quarterfinals that year so you know it could have pushed us even further um Fletch what would you say what was uh, was one of his mistakes in his 20 years um I think the reputation for being a tough negotiator and so on may have got gone to his head at some point mm. I think a lot of the time he's he's Obviously done very well on that front for us. But I think maybe, you know, four or five years ago, it almost became a thing that we were entering levy time and, you know, he would take it down to the the last penny as late in the day as possible. And I think, yeah, maybe as a result, he became too close to football matters for a while. And um, I, th I don't think that is the case now. I think his relationship with Potts was obviously very, very good. And I don't think he just, I don't think he's that involved in that decision-making process as much now. But I think there was a period where maybe the whole Daniel Levy is a tough negotiator and he's going to draw this out and save us the penny. I think people just said enough is enough, really. And... I think that was a mistake. And there was a I time think, there was a time as well, wasn't there was a sorry Ian. Um there was a period as well, wasn't there, where we started every season on the back foot because we would do all of our business yeah. towards the end of the transfer window and it felt like the first four games of the, like I I remember seasons where we wouldn't win for the first four games. 
but you know you knew we were going to get better because we just didn't have our team in place and that's you know that goes back to that point that you're making Fletch about being a tough negotiator and it worked both ways it worked with players going out the door and players coming in the door so yeah, yeah we brought Don Belly straight away didn't we yeah. You know, early in the transfer window, our top target paid big money for him and he thought, oh, things have changed. The message has got through now. Um, and because um, uh, didn't Alex Ferguson famously say dealing with Levy is more painful than his hip operation? <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter, what, what would you say was, is a big, you know, a big mistake of Levy's in the, in the periods, 12, 20 years? I can't, I can't go any further. Can't can't look past the 2012 window and key moments, pivotal moments when he just needed to back Harry and then later mm. on when he needed to back Potch uh, with, uh, you know, quality, quality signings. I know rec- recruitment comes into it, but uh, I think those are key pivotal moments uh, that would have changed the, the, the outcome. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, can I, can well, I just Potch is now, the... by the way, tearing oh, it up with, with the resources he has. Um, I just want to throw in um, the second of Martin Yole for me is a pretty low point for Levy. Um, just the way that sort of came out, I think. And we've said it on the pod before, we all felt really disappointed with that. So I think he possibly, looking back, he should have hanged his head in shame um, on that. But just that, that that leads me nicely into, you know, uh, Levy and the managers he's had. You know, I just want to throw this out there to a few of you. So, uh, Sim, do you think he should have given AB, AVB more time or do you think he sacked him too early? No, that's actually the one manager I would say that didn't deserve any more time. And I'm probably talking from quite a biased point of view because I just hated that <laughs> that, that AVB period. What about uh, when he wanted Moutinho though and he, wouldn't, he didn't give him? Yeah, I mean, again, that that, that, 20, that was in his first summer, wasn't it? The, the 2012-13 season when Bale was, was ripping it up for us. So... You know, he yeah, he he would have had a better a better team, brought in a, a fellow Portuguese compatriot, and our midfield would have been probably stronger. But we did buy Dembele in that window as well, so you know we did go for an alternative, albeit five or five or eight million cheaper. Um, and uh, Peter, can I should should he give in uh, Martin Yol more time? Yeah, I, I thought Martin Yol. I, I was like you. I was really really disappointed the way that was handled. Um, Yes, he'd had a bad start to that 2007 season. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. think he was a bit quick to pull the trigger there. I think Martin Yol had a togetherness in that squad. Uh, and yeah, I think he was a little bit hasty there, I thought. OK, and Fletch, if I can come to you, for, if you can answer for two of them, just in the interest of time. Did he pull the trigger too quickly on Harry and also Glenn Hoddle in his early days? I mean, the Hoddle one is... Is wrapped up in so much, you know, because I thought I thought Sim's answer about AVB was really interesting because AVB at the time got us our highest points total, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did, yeah. But the, fo- the football was not fun, let's say. Um, and I felt he was all, I felt fan power came into it, and Levy almost being a fan himself came into that one where, you know, he knew the traditions of the club and so on. Hoddle, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, you know, casting back, but I, I think Hoddle is a very good tactician and manager, but maybe, you know, I'm not sure it, it wasn't really working out, was it? Ian, can I just say something about uh, Levy and the management thing? Because just, something just occurred to me. He lurches from continental-style manager back to traditional English style manager, back and forward. Like So it's not working under... Gosh, we, we no, Martin Yol, yeah. yeah. I, I'd say, although he's Dutch, I said traditional English, I played in the English game and everything. Yeah. Get rid of him, brings the continental style Ramos in. That doesn't work, so he goes back to Harry with the traditional English style manager. That doesn't <laughs> work, he's out the door. Back comes, really you know, back comes the continental... But, you can, but you, can go, you can go earlier than that. You can go yeah. Hodu Santini. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so, like he's lurching from one... It's like a scattergun sort of approach. Can, can, I, well. can I just step in there? I, I, I wrote down earlier this afternoon when I should have been working. Um, is this the cycle of a boss under Enoch? Club get excited, new manager, so much potential. New era beckons. Starts nicely with mid, mid-range transfer targets achieved. 
compete with what we have, no investment to bridge gap to top teams, so results suffer, manager disillusioned, manager sacked. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he got lucky with Podge, I think he did. Yeah, I think we did. I think there's an interesting point where we're at now, because I think we're all, we're all probably thinking that once Marino goes, we'll be looking for Potchmark too. Mm. You know? yeah. But is there a possibility that we are entering a Chelsea-style manager era mm. where we just hire the biggest name available? Yeah, can I can I bring you know, that's a that's a really great point and that sort of leads us into sort of like we've got a few more little items to cover, Fletch. But if I can go to you, carry on with you. If you had a crystal ball, how do you see the next two years panning out for Tottenham Hotspur? I'd like to think that Marino would go at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Just I know financially that's quite a struggle, but I think he probably will have failed particularly if we, you know, finish eighth or something like that, which seems possible at the moment. I think we will attempt a Pochettino Mark II, whoever that may be. And I think they'll, you know, whether that works out straight away, I'm not so sure. But I think we're going to be, I think there's a big era of change coming over the next year because there's large chunks of the squad's which I don't think are good enough and have been there quite a while, who will go. And I think we will start to blood a lot of younger players okay. again and probably try and build a team around Dembele, which should be fun at least. Um, Sim, how did, what, what do you feel if you had a crystal ball the next two years? How's it panning out? I think the next two years are going to be laden with, because first of all, we're not going to get in the Champions League for next season. So next season, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to be dining at that top table again. And I think it's going to be laden with will Harry Kane stay rumours. I think that's really, really going to intensify next season because he's got what is it, probably two or three years left on his contract, maybe till twenty twenty four. And I, I just see, I just see this media circus, which I'll probably be in the middle of because of my my job, but. Um, I, I just yeah, I, I see those those rumours being the real narrative on Spurs next year. In in terms of the dugout, it's very difficult to make a case if we don't win this League Cup. And of course, we're still in the Europa League. But if we don't win this League Cup against Man City, it's really difficult to make the case for Mourinho staying because there's six or seven clearly better teams than us in the Premier League. So you know we could be looking at a seventh or eighth place finish, but. So um, I, I think Mourinho will be there next season if we do win that cup. If we don't, I'm not so sure. If, I'm not sure sure he will be. Okay, Peter, what 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 are you sort of seeing your crystal ball for the next two years for Spurs? Well, um, it's my my head speaking, not my heart. It's not what I wish. But uh, in the immediate future, I think we'll finish eighth. Uh, we'll lose the league cup final. We'll go out in the semi-final of the Europa League. <laughs> At the end of the season, Jose will depart by mutual consent. So 15 million quid he'll get paid. Uh, and we'll lurch towards a vanity, crowd-pleasing, I suppose, <laughs> Potsmark too, I suppose, type manager. But that will not stop Kane and Son leaving. And mm. then we'll have the painful rebuild from scratch that Potts talked about 18 months ago. Uh, but like we're sprinkling of the youngsters. Do you know what, Peter? Yeah. I wrote. I wrote down. I, I think Kane will go this summer, and I think it'll be a it'll be like a bail mark two situation where we'll have lots of money, you know, and we it'll be a rebuild and we'll just be a, another transitional season next season. But I do genuinely think Kane. I just see sometimes his body language and also Son. I've seen him throw his arms in the air a couple of times. And I just think that those two, one of those two, and possibly Kane, I think they're they're going to go, and I think we'll get a lot of money and we'll rebuild that way. Ian, yep. A question I'll, I'll put to you: Harry Kane is twenty-seven. He's either twenty-seven or twenty-eight. I'm not totally sure, but yep. he's what fifty-seven-ish goals behind the Jimmy Greaves record now. Do you think that there's a possibility that once he reaches that milestone, which he could reach within two years? then you could see him finally make that move out of Spurs in 
two years time when he's 30 years of age, the same age as Sheringham, and that is when he leaves Spurs and goes to another English club where he can still beat the Shearer record, but he can also get the trophies that he deserves. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I, I, I genuinely think he. This, this is. I just. I just think he is peak now. You know, he's. I just think this is a summer. I think he'll go this summer. And I. And I think, I think he's. I think mentally, possibly his advisors might be saying that no, you won't get the backlash because no Spurs fans are going to blame you for leaving. I, I so won't blame I, him. I won't blame him at all. Uh, Not one. And bit. Fletch, from a PR point of view, would you, would you be telling the client of yours, yeah, this is the best time to do this? Well, on the other hand. Everything revolves around him at the club, I feel. Uh-huh. You know, he's, he's the top earner. There's a good chance Larice is coming to the end this summer. So Kane's, you know, importance goes up even more. The goals thing is, I hadn't really thought of that, Sim. I think it's a really good point. But I'd probably keep an eye more on Sonny this season than Kane because I think Sonny's. Will have a year left or so, or eighteen months, and he's he's a year older than Kane, I think. Yeah. So always, I I always think in that twenty eight is maximum value. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to sell them on, you know, twenty nine it comes down a little bit because at thirty it falls quite dramatically. So I think I'd expect another year from Kane, but um. With Sonny, I would keep an eye on. Although it amazes me every year why the world's biggest clubs aren't trying to buy Sonny. It's it's baffling because from a PR and marketing thing, the South Korean market, look how big it is for us now. And I'm, I'm just surprised no one else has tried to steal him already, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally agree there. Um, just as we sort of head towards the end of this, I mean, 20 years and... I just want to sort of ask the question round the table just to wrap up. Is Levy a success at Spurs? Yes or no? I'll go to Peter. I think I know the answer. No. <laughs> Don't even think about that one. Um, and can I go to you, Sim? Is Levy a success at Spurs? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, interesting. Fletch, is Levy a success at Spurs? I mean, I'm surprised you've even asked me. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> OK, interesting. Well, I just just my two pennies to throw in. I actually really do think he's a success, you know, but I have to admit, my patience is waning on the trophy front. So, whereas I think if you ask me again in a year's time, possibly I might be a bit tainted. What are you basing your yeses on? I'm saying, I'm saying yes, financially and how we've moved forward as a club in 20 years considering you know what we were and what we are now I just think we've moved forward a hell of a lot so that's what I'm basing on Peter I'm not I'm not saying I'm right at that I, I, I think I think he's a success because he has done the job that he's set out to do but I think maybe the question I don't get heard asked enough is are we saying that nowhere other? Like I, I just said he's a success, so I, so I'm kind of contradicting myself. But are we saying that no one else could have built that stadium? Yeah, that, that, the only, the only Daniel Levy and Enoch could have built that stadium. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, I mean, he is a super businessman. And he's obviously learned a lot. I mean, my, I, I sort of think you know when people sort of say let's get rid of Enoch, I just think they've learned a lot. Levy's learned a lot. I just think. Are, are we going to reap the benefits of us being in this new stadium? He's learned a lot. He knows he's got to invest in our core business now. And possibly we should just stick with Enoch. And, you know, hopefully we, the good times should be coming, as Fletch said earlier. What, what do you sort of think of that, Peter? No, there's, there's, there's other people who could have got to the same destination as Levy using a different route. So you're saying he should have been fired halfway through? No, no, we could have... No, I'm saying that you asked... Could anyone else have achieved what he did? Of course they could, and uh, but I think they could have done it. They could have arrived at the same destination um, using a route with uh, some trophies along the way. And um, I would have actually waited a couple of years. I, c- I could have waited for that stadium a couple of years. 
I'd have rather seen a couple of trophies and had the stadium built a couple of years later. Obviously, nobody was to know about the COVID world and all that sort of thing has hit all businesses. But having said that, there are other people who could have achieved what he did in answer to your question. We were 90 minutes away from having the Champions League on display in that new stadium in its first whole season there. You know, one game, one game away. And just on a similar thing, do we all consider Pochettino a failure? Good question. Yeah, that's a good question. No, we don't. I don't. I don't think anyone around the table does. I don't. No, I don't. I, don't. I, enjoy, I enjoyed the football too much. But he's the man on the pitch who... And he came so close. ...his job was to win trophies, so... Yeah, it's a Fletch, that's a great I question. Don't, I, don't, I don't consider him a failure. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, by the same... Kind of by the same rules. By the same rules as yours. So your point there is... A, is that's a brilliant point, actually. To your point there, Levy's not a failure. If Poch isn't a failure. Yeah, it's, and it's, no, it's, fans, it's, it's, no Spurs fans will say right. Poch was a failure. It's easier to bash a nail into the wall using a hammer than using your fist... And uh, so you need the tools. You need the tools to do the job. And also, by that logic, you could be saying that one day Ramos is the most successful manager in that period. <laughs> Build using... a statue. Build a statue. <laughs> <laughs> I think that wraps it up nicely. So the last, the, the, in summary, we're going to build a statue for one day Ramos. Is that right, guys? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right, guys. Well. I hope that's been uh, it's been really enjoyable actually and really insightful and it's, it's you know I love the way we can bounce off and we disagree but yeah, I do love like this and that's the beauty of at YE one Spurs so Fletch it's been brilliant having you on again hope you've enjoyed it enjoyed it Good brilliant to see you. Nice. Sim Peter brilliant as normal Thanks great insight you. Peter I just love your forthrightness and uh, on the front, we could have had a, a holy trinity like like up at Old Trafford you know the Lord best chart and thing. George Graham, no, no, George Graham, Ramos. Santini, and Randy Ramos. <laughs> you know, why not? Statue of Empire. Oh, the heady days! Right, guys, thank you so much, listeners. Thanks for listening. Um, keep listening and keep sharing uh, the, your podcasts uh, about why at why on Spurs. We really value your support. So, see you later, guys, and keep safe. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers.